thank you for getting up early on this Friday morning and, and talking with me. Well, I'm, I'm happy to. Seven o'clock is not that early. Normally, I'm up earlier than this, but in any exactly. case, I'm happy to, happy to chat with you. This should be fun. Absolutely. Very good. Well, hey, you are a wheat breeder at CSU, and I think about ready to retire. It, it, what's next for you? Well, I, I guess what's next for me is to just try to get through our wheat harvest this year. And I'm just, I'm not trying to think too much about, you know, post-retirement plans. I don't know. Some people say I should have it all mapped out and everything, but really I'm just trying to do it one day at a time. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're right in the, right in the middle of our harvest. Well, I, I should say we started this past week. But um, at least in terms of Eastern Colorado, we're kind of right in the middle. And so this is a really busy time for us. So I'm not worried about what I'm going to do in retirement quite yet. Absolutely. Good. I know you went down and cut my parents' trials, right? Was that this week, I guess, right? Or last it, week? it was, yeah. And I, I want to I make sure your listeners are clear. I'm not the one doing the work. I mean, I've got, <laughs> I, I do work, but uh, I'm not the one that's out there on the plot combines. I've got really great. Uh, staff that work in the program that have been doing this for many, many years. So they're the ones that did it. And they were down there on, um, let's see, what was, I guess it was Monday. They got that one cut and, and um, that was the first one. They went there first. So. Okay. Gotcha. Cause there wasn't any plot data. You guys didn't harvest at all in back of County this year, right? Just. Um, that's true. Yeah, know? that's correct. So we, we do have the uh, research trials at Walsh at the Plainsman Research Center and it just didn't come up in the fall at all. So there was nothing, nothing to harvest down there. Okay, yeah, we're pretty bad drought right now. So, and they just moved up to the exceptional drought, I think, or whatever the worst drought is. Yeah. He's in it right now and we're just right on the edge. So yeah, fortunately, you know, most, most producers got good stands last fall. And, you know, as everybody knows, wheat's a pretty tough plant. And so, uh, but it's, it's been a number of years since we've had droughty uh, trial data like this. We had, I mean, well, just for example, last year in, in Cheyenne County, the average of the trial was over a hundred bushels an acre. And um, this year it's the average is going to be about 25 or, or whatever, you know, so and we, it's been a number of years since we've had such really low yields due to drought. So we are learning some things that we didn't know, uh, you know, in terms of how the different, different varieties uh, respond. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that takes me to Norman Borlaug because uh, I know you work on their foundation, on their Borlaug Training Foundation. You're a board member, right? Yeah, I was just, when you, when you mentioned Borlaug, I was looking around for one of my Borlaug books, but yeah, uh, yeah I do. I, I serve on the board of the directors of the, of the Borlaug Training Foundation, which is, okay. uh, which is an organization that advocates for training uh, primarily at the international uh, international ag research centers, and in particular, CIMIT in Mexico. So, um, as part of that, I've I've uh, I've participated in training with uh, groups of students and, and trainees from primarily developing countries down at down at CIMIT in Mexico in the Sonoran Desert. And uh, this year, I was scheduled to go down there in March. You know, unfortunately, the whole thing got canceled. So I'm I'm hoping that next year I'll be able to go down. But but that's been that's been a lot of fun. I'm not sure if if any if your listeners or 
people listening to this know who Norman Borlaug was, but they should write that name down and go to go Google it or go to Wikipedia. But um, he was, yeah. Well, you shared on Twitter um, about the documentary that came out on PBS. And so we watched that, you know, and he, he said in that documentary, you still have to have, have water and preferably irrigation is what he preferred, right? And fertilizer um, to really have wheat make its capacity. Yeah, um, you know, that, that, uh, that documentary was really very interesting. And, and there has been kind of a, um, I would say, sort of a revisionist history surrounding what Norman Borlaug and others did back in the 1960s and 70s. And it, and it was back in the 50s, too. But uh, the first semi-dwarf wheat varieties, you know, were released back in the 1960s. And, and um, you know, Norman Borlaug and others are widely credited with saving over a billion people from starvation. Yet still, as, as I think, Christy, as you still see on Twitter, people question this legacy you know, like, well, we have to have more fertilizer and it takes more water and these new varieties, these new varieties require more inputs. Well, nothing is free in agriculture. We have to have inputs in order to have output. And, and um, so in terms of that documentary, I was, I was kind of concerned that it was going to, you know, be kind of a, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's downplay what, what Norman Borlaug did like saving a billion people from starvation. And, and it, was, it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And so I really did enjoy that, that documentary. Mm -hmm. so we had, uh, when I worked for the sorghum growers, sorghum producers, I worked with um, Bruce Maunder. And I don't know if you ever knew Bruce Maunder. Mm -hmm. You knew Bruce. No, but he not was, well. I, I didn't know well. him well. Yeah, but we and, he, and he passed away just recently, yeah. um, not too long ago. But he um, also worked a lot with, with Borlaug, and he was a premier sorghum breeder. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of respect for, for Norm Borlaug. So I think actually Bruce helped pick out on the World Food Prize. He was on that committee to try to select the winners. And, oh, yeah, that's a pretty so that was a, role. That was a really neat thing for him to do. Yeah. So let's go back to you on, on uh, why you became a wheat breeder. So you grew up or you were at least born in Washington state, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I grew up in the suburbs north of Seattle. Okay. And uh, I grew up very far away from agriculture. And, um, you know, my dad worked in downtown Seattle. He was a stockbroker. Okay. He was a, he was a businessman, owned his own, you know, securities investments firm. And, um, you know, he was not well to do, but, uh, but he made a good living and, you know, he encouraged me to go to college. And there was a time where I didn't want to go to college. And, uh, but he thought that education was important. So he, 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 he didn't give up on me. And so he, he said, I don't care where you go or what to study. Um, just find something that you enjoy doing. And, and I, I, uh, I always liked plants, you know, I was a, I had all the plant-related Boy Scout mirror badges, and, and really what I wanted to do was I wanted to be a forest ranger. And that's kind of one of the, not, not that I'm making any, you know, parallels between Norman Borlaug and myself, but, you know, Norman Borlaug wanted to be a forest ranger too, and I, I tried that avenue for a couple of years and couldn't get a job. And so I went back to the degree that I started in, which, which was in botany, right? I just liked plants. I had a very influential high school biology and botany teacher that got me into plants. 
So then I, I recalled my big break coming in around 1980, 81, something like that. I, I got a, a job as a student worker in the pea and lentil and, and chickpea or garbanzo bean breeding program at Washington State. And I, I remember just thinking at that time, wow, this is my big break. You know, I, I got my foot in the door, you know, because it was just kind of hard. You know, you have to get a chance. Right. So, so that that's really what what uh, I was working in a breeding program. Didn't really, of course, understand what we were doing. But, you know, we were collecting data and harvesting the chickpea trials and things like that. And so, um, so that was where I, I got involved in, in agriculture, you know, from the agricultural research perspective, but then not really knowing what I wanted to do with that. I mean, I didn't know I wanted to be a plant breeder. I had given up on forestry, but I didn't really know what, you know, where, what area of botany, you know, I might work in. So, so anyway, I joined the Peace Corps and I, I went to, uh, I went to West Africa. I lived in uh, kind of an interesting story. I, I probably one of the very, very few volunteers that that served in two different countries, but but never moved, <laughs> because when I went there, the country was called Upper Volta, and then they had a revolution uh, while I was there, which was a fascinating thing to watch. And then um, and then they changed their name to Burkina Faso while I was there in 1984. Wow. And uh, so while I was there, I worked in a, a black-eyed pea breeding program or uh, cow peas some people call it cow peas so I worked in a plant breeding program and we were trying to develop you know varieties of of cow peas for uh, farmers in West Africa uh, varieties that were resistant to uh, a parasitic weed and varieties that were uh, drought stress tolerant and and that's what really did it for me right was was seeing that that plant breeding can can have an impact and uh and then also seeing what the, um, you know, what the challenges were, you know, for feeding, feeding people. It's uh, Burkina Faso has, and still is an extremely poor country and uh, malnutrition was everywhere and starvation, you know, 1984 was really bad. And uh, so anyway, I, I, I just, I found my calling. And uh, so I, I came back in late 85 and, uh, Feel free to cut me off here anytime. No, that's great. <laughs> okay. But I, I came back to the U.S. in 1985 with the with the goal and right. So this is before the internet. Let's let's remember that. Some people remember those those times, but um, ten you know, years like, before. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I even remember before cable TV. So, but um, my point being with that is that like applying to graduate schools before the internet. Right. This wasn't that, you know, you could just get on and email a professor. Everything was done, you know, with snail mail. And so I applied to a number of schools and uh, and it was it was the uh, wheat breeder at Colorado State University, Jim Quick, that took me on and gave me a chance. So I came here in 1986 and started as a graduate student in wheat breeding. And at that time, you know, I, I wanted I knew I wanted to do a Ph.D. in in plant breeding. And I thought that I wanted to go back overseas and, and participate in agricultural development in developing countries. But then, you know, a family, I got married and had kids and, and just, you know, my life path changed. And so, so then, you know, being able to 
you know, come back all these years later and be involved with the Borlaug Training Foundation where, where I'm involved with training opportunities for people from developing countries. For me, it's like coming full circle because that's what I, one of the things I did in, back in, in 1984 in Burkina Faso. Right. That's so right. I, I came here in 1986 and started in the wheat breeding program, spent five and a half years here with Jim Quick and, uh, and learned how to run a, how to, you know, how does plant breeding work? And uh, so, so I left here in, in 91 and I, I uh, worked in dry edible bean breeding and genetics at Michigan State as a postdoctoral scholar. Just did that for 18 months. And then I got a faculty position at South Dakota State. So I was a wheat breeder, winter wheat breeder there uh, for five and a half years. And then I came here to CSU when my former major professor became department head and his position opened up. So I, I came back here almost 22 years ago. Okay. I remember, so my dad obviously was on the, the wheat board here in Colorado. Um, and he was so excited when you came on board. And I remember him telling us about your different sabbaticals too, especially I hadn't realized the, the last few that you've taken, but I remember him being so excited when you went to Australia and I looked it up. And so you were there for what, six months or so. Yeah. Uh, and then you've also went to, let's see here. You've done a couple more lately. You went to uh, Italy and the UK as well mm -hmm. for a little bit of time, maybe not as long as you were in Australia. It was well, it was, it was, it was three there. months, three months in both places. So it was still six months. Still six months. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he was excited about what you learned and could bring back. And I think at one point he was kind of scared you were going to take off to K-State, right? <laughs> you didn't go? That's a, that's a funny story. <laughs> you know, my, my wife is, um, you know, that, that position opened up in around 2000. I hadn't been here at CSU all, all that long. And I, I remember uh, talking to my wife about it and you know Kansas State I mean it's the wheat state and they're like 15 deep there in terms of people working in wheat you know we have a we have a handful at CSU they have eight handfuls in Manhattan Kansas and at Hayes but uh, I, I saw yeah I was interested in the position and I came home and told my wife and she's a Colorado native and she said oh that's really great that'd probably be a step up for you wouldn't it and I'm like yeah, it'd be a, you know, a career advancement. She says, good. Well, will they pay you more money? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. You know, it's the wheat state. And she said, well, that's good because you're going to need to make two house payments because I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> she said, so, <laughs> and so, you know, in, in, ret in retrospect, you know, there were other opportunities that came along over the years, right? But but uh, being able to be here at CSU for the 22 years, it'll, it allowed me to, um, to uh, you know, make progress, I think, in a way that, that, that you can't. Like when, when, when somebody is leading, and it probably stands for most walks of life, you learn things as you go on. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight years, and I started to really figure out, okay, here's how I need to approach this problem, because Colorado is a, is a terrible place to to breed wheat. When I mean, when I say terrible, I mean, the climate here is really inhospitable. And um, so my point is, is that uh, it, it took me a few years to kind of get my feet under me. But then, you know, I think we settled into uh, what I think has been in a very productive program over the last number of years. 
And, and um, so in retrospect, I think, you know, being able to stay at CSU was, was a, a definite plus for what I have been able to, uh, to accomplish in my career. All right. And you also have probably more than one, but I saw you have one patent. So yeah. tell me about that. I think your dad set you up for this question, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so so that, is a, that is a patent for an herbicide tolerance trait. And I'm, I'm one of three, uh, I'm one of four co-inventors on that. It's myself and, and, and one, of, one of the people that works in my program, one of, our, one of our staff members, and then the weed scientist, Phil Westred, and one of his graduate students. So it was a collaborative effort to develop a new form of herbicide tolerance in wheat. And, you know, the, the funny thing about this is, 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 is we had been talking about it for a while and the, the wheat committee had been talking about it, but we hadn't really done anything. But it was, it was a meeting that I had with your dad in his office there, you know, around that table where he says, we need to do this and we need to start now. And, um, and I don't know what, what spurred me, but I, I went back and I called up the weed scientist and I said, hey, I had this, I had this talk with Burl and, um, you know, what can we do? Let's do something. And, um, and the rest is history. So we, we developed a novel trait that has now been uh, licensed to, uh, by the Colorado Wheat Research Foundation, licensed to various other public and private programs being put into varieties worldwide. And um, so it's, it's uh, the, the herbicide uh, production system is called coaxium. And um, yeah, so that's, that was a really neat story, I think, though, you know, because funding from the growers, the idea from the growers, you know, the grower saying that this is important, can you get it done? And then the, and then the public land grant university getting it done. And then, and then, and then that technology going back to industry to improve agriculture. I think it's been a really cool story. So it's, it's nice to, you know, at least for, for my part of it, to, to think back on all that, all that happened to, to bring that to fruition. Yeah, it's great collaboration and that's what it's supposed yeah. to be. Um, so you, you get to name wheat varieties. I'm into the fun stuff. And there are a couple of varieties I've never heard of, like cowboy and sunshine. A lot of these are named after wheat breeders. But I want to know, like, how do you, how do you name these varieties that you come up with? Well, those, that's, um, it, it kind of depends. Um, some of them, some of them were jokes. Um, for example, uh, you know, uh, before a variety is released, it has a number and we had a, we had a variety that ended in 007. You want to guess what, what we named that one? 007. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah. We named it bond, bond CL. <laughs> then another one, it was right after I came back from Australia. Um, we, we released it then that first fall that I came back and you all may remember Ripper the variety ripper it was it was number 2 in colorado acreage 4 years in a row so it was a very successful variety and uh, really did well down in your area but anyway in australia they have this expression something that was really good you know something that was just like of exceptional they would say ah oh, that's a ripper 
And so, um, <laughs> so that one was, that one was kind of a joke. You know, Hatcher was named after somebody, was named after a producer down in your area, very nice. influential producer. Uh, nice. Bird was named after uh, CSU's first wheat breeder. Um, and, and so they all have a little different story. The, um, the white wheats have, we've had a tradition of naming them after 14ers in Colorado. We had, uh, we had uh, Snowmass and Sunshine and Antero. And uh, Breck is not a 14er, but it's a mountain town. And then now Snowmass 2.0. So those have kind of had a theme. Okay. And, then, and then some others now, the, uh, the, the Colorado Wheat Research Foundation, they've been taking a little more active role in the marketing of the varieties, which is a good thing because these things need to be promoted. And uh, so they've taken a little bit greater role um, than, than in years past. So now I give my ideas on them, but, uh, but I'm just one vote in the room, and, uh, which is fine by me. I mean, they're the ones that need to market the varieties. And I like what I like what they've done. So, Langan, the one that you're growing on your farm, was was named after Ed Langan, who was a uh, who was the the person who helped found the Plainsman Research Center at Walsh, and he passed away a number of years ago. And I um, I told Kevin Larson, who's the station manager, and he uh, Ed was very influential to him. I never met Ed, but I told Kevin when Ed passed away that someday I'm going to find a variety. <laughs> And, and we did, you know, you, you, you're afraid to do that, right? Because what if the variety becomes a dud, you right, know, and right. it, it doesn't do well. And then that's not a good reflection on, on that person. But, but for Lang and that was, and Bird and Hatcher, I mean, these, these were all very, very successful. So we feel good about that. That's good. That's really yeah. good. Now, you know how to speak and write French as well. And then Moray, is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, it's pronounced Moray. So do you use that weekly? No, no. not Moray. No, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, pretty much, I'm pretty much to the point now where, I mean, this is it's almost 35. It'll be 35 years ago this December that I came back from Africa. So, so I don't, um, you hear my cat squawking in the background. So I don't know more. I, I could say a few things, you know, like uh, every now and again, I, I go to our national um, professional society meetings and I meet up with a buddy. We were buddies there in the Peace Corps and we exchanged some pleasantries and crack a couple of jokes, but I couldn't carry on a conversation. And French is French. I couldn't get by. Um, you know, like if I go to Paris or something, I can ask for directions and find out you know, how much something costs and stuff like that. But I don't know. That's one of the things I want to do in my retirement is, is get better at languages and Spanish. Spanish for me is going to be first. Mm -hmm, for sure. So. What would you say has been the, the biggest challenge um, for wheat breeding in Colorado? <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's a lot of them. You know, there's, we've, we've got the diseases and you've got the insects and, you know, these change, you know, our, our, our two most important problems right now, the wheat stem sawfly and stripe rust, were not problems when I started here in 1999. So, so things, you know, the climate changing and the, 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 uh, the pathogens change. And so, so, so those, th those things are big problems. Don't get me wrong, but the but the biggest problem is 
water. Like how much moisture does that crop get and when does it get it and how hot does it get and when hot, when does it get hot? And this year was, was just really an amazing one as you know, watching it play out. I mean, just the heat that we had, I had not seen a year like that where it wasn't just one time. It's just the whole month of June. I mean, I think they've said this is our fifth hottest June on record. That's not a good thing for wheat. <clears throat> So, so it would it would be that it would be just the inconsistency of water and the year to year variation that we have in precipitation, and from parts of the state. So, if you go from Baca County all the way in the southern part of the state all the way up to Yuma, those are a lot of different conditions, soil conditions, water conditions, all of those things. Yeah, they're very different. Mm -hmm. But they're comp they're in there there are commonalities between them too that I think many people don't quite recognize, you know, in, in terms of you know um, you know elevation is is a is a constant, you know, essentially from north north northeast to southeast and and the available or at least the precipitation that falls is relatively is pretty similar. What the producer can get out of that precipitation is different in the southeast than it is in the northeast and the you know the cropping, the diversity, and the cropping systems are different, but, 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 but it's more similar between northeast and southeast Colorado than it is northeast Colorado and Manhattan, Kansas. Mm -hmm. A lot more similar. Mm -hmm. That's true. It's true. Well, what else? I mean, what do you? What else are you going to do in retirement? I know you, you said people are asking you what you're going to do. You're going to brush up on your languages, but. Did you just think it was time to hang this up? I mean, I know it's it's more than a full-time job. This is yeah. not a 40-hour week job that you have. No. And a, a lot of seasonal differences on, on when you're doing things. Um, so I know that you've probably not had much of a family life. <laughs> so, so that'll be a, a priority. But, um, but you're training your replacement as we speak, right? Well, my, my, my replacement... Um, I'm calling him my successor. <laughs> successor. Okay, yeah. good. And he's already trained. You're just. Yeah, yeah he's been a, he's yes. been a wheat breeder for 10 years. So, so I guess I'm looking at it more as orientation, like, you know, just try to, you know, here's where things are and here's what I've been trying to doing, trying to do. He'll have his own learning curve. Eston Mason is his name. He's uh he's a wheat breeder at the university of Arkansas. So he's got a lot of experience, but, he doesn't, uh, I don't think he's really worked around the kind of drought that we get here in Colorado. So he'll have some kind of a learning curve. We have, we have an overlap of like four and a half months where um, I can, you know, give it orientation. And then, you know, after, after that, I mean, I want to learn the guitar. I already said, I want to learn Spanish. Those are number one and number two. Um, I want to volunteer in the community in some way. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like yet, but for, for years I've, I've, uh, I've wanted to go and okay, well, why didn't I go? Well, I just couldn't find time in my day, I guess, but I want to work at the food bank and do whatever they need. And I think those needs are tremendous now, right? You know, people mm -hmm. without, without jobs and stuff. And, uh, and then also the elderly, you know, there's a, there's a service here in Fort Collins. Um, uh, the name's escaping me now. Maybe I need to be <laughs> be one of their customers or something. But uh, anyway, you, you take the elderly to their doctor appointments or take them to the grocery store, things like that. But you, you just think about the elderly and how, 
you know, how isolated they can become and how, you know, their mobility issues and, you know, they want to maintain their independence and stuff. So, so that's something that I want to do. And, uh, but to what extent, I, I'm not sure yet. I'm not worrying about that quite yet. Those are the two ones that I think about. And then professionally, I, I don't know about consulting, maybe not actively engaged, uh, look, looking or starting a consulting business or anything, but I, I still have some skills. I'm, I'm leaving at 60 years old. So I'm not old and, and totally out of date and everything. I still have some skills that I think I can contribute. I enjoy programming, coding, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, so to maybe dive into that a little bit more than I've been able to do uh, is something I'd like to do. So, so I've got a long list of things. I, I don't have too many bucket things. I want to go back to Italy. I want to go back to New Zealand. And I want to go to Chile, Chile, you know, in South America. My father was born there and I want to go back to the town where he was born. And, um, but I don't have a lot of bucket list things like that. I, I want to explore the West. I want, I want to go to Grand Canyon. I want to go camp in Grand Canyon, you know, things like that. So I don't think I'm going to be bored. I'm not one to sit around and watch TV and, and uh, get old, fat and lazy. I'm, I think I'll probably be more active in retirement than I am now, I hope. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it's easy to be in Colorado. When, when you look for it, you can really go out and find things. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, well, about, about one more thing. Sorry if you don't mind me adding. No, but, go know, ahead. I, I can't tell you how many miles I've logged, you know, driving from Northeast, Southeast Colorado and everywhere in between. And, and um, you know, I've, I've all, it's always been for work. You know, I've wanted to, you know, okay, I got to go look at this trial or go do this or that. And you know, but all the little golf courses out there. I mean, I have golfed the one there at Lamar, you know, but there's others. I mean, how many times have I driven past the courses in Sterling or wherever? And I, I want to do that. And then, you know, just like recreation. I mean, the, the Great Plains are so beautiful. And, you know, to, to I'd like to go camping out there somewhere. It's not what many people think of, you know, at their destination camping spots. But um, I'd like to enjoy the Great Plains in, in maybe a different way. In my retirement? I don't know. It's just something I've thought about. Well, this fall, you'll be all done with your transition. So you can, um, we've got a couple couple extra antelope tags. If you want to come down, you can camp out and do some hunting. You're more than welcome. So. Well, thanks. Thanks for the offer. I'll, I'll, I'll keep note of that. You go visit Sand Creek and Amachi and all these places. So Just all these places that I've just driven by and I've never had the time. Okay. You know what people say? Well, if you make the time, you have the time. Okay. I've never had the time to like go in there at Sand Creek. I'd like to, I think one year we did, maybe it was rainy or something and we couldn't cut. So I think we went into the visitor center there, but yeah, that's just one of the many places that I'd like to explore. Sure. Well, I know as a wheat farmer in Colorado, you, you are appreciated. We appreciate all that you've done. We know that it's not just a nine to five job for you and putting in your time and not really caring. I think you have a great passion for making things better and um, a knowledge for how to do that and a curiosity. And I think that's most important is the curiosity on what makes things tick, what makes them work. So so we appreciate you and we wish you the happiest retirement um, as you do all these fun things and spend more time with your family. But, but I just want you to know that you've been, uh, you've meant a lot to my family 
and um, we appreciate you very much. Your family has meant a lot to me too. So thank you. You got it. Well, we, uh, we've got a big day. I'm sure you do too. We got to get back out and harvest again. It's just such a fun time of year. And I'm sorry you heard everything in the background. We had a fuel truck come in. My lawn sprinklers went on. I've got to paint my daughter's door so I couldn't shut the door. We have a pretty small house. So I had to come outside and I've just been roaming around the whole time. <laughs> now I'm in my car. So, so that's what it's about out here. But um, we just thank you for, for all that you've brought and the knowledge. And what you're leaving, what you're leaving for the next person and um, to pick up where, where you've gone. So. It's been fun. <clears throat> you know, we started this like, well, where did I come from? Well, I came from the suburbs of Seattle, you know, and then to see what I've been able to do in agriculture really, I think, tells you. And I, I tell this to students, you know, you can do anything you want. There are no limits, right? I don't think there are. I mean, I understand the issues, but, but you know, if you set your mind to something and you have a commitment to do it, you can do anything. I, I really believe that. So I've been really lucky and it's been so much fun. So. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And you, you mentioned a little bit about uh, the students, but you've actually been um, the advisor for the agronomy club for how long then at CSU? Just two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. And um, that was just kind of an interesting story. You know, as, as you get all older, you know, I'm not that old, I'm only almost 60, but you know, some of the older people that you know, they pass away. And Jack Fenwick was, you know, the advisor of the agronomy club. Everybody knew Jack. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times out in Eastern Colorado, I go to a field day and they're like, oh, how's Jack? You know, it's people <laughs> I didn't even know. But Jack was the advisor for many, many years. And then after he passed away, I just thought, okay, I need to step up. We had a very capable and dedicated advisor at that time, but I just, I don't know, I felt a calling. And then I felt a calling to retire. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, in a way, I kind of feel like I'm leaving them in the lurch, but my successor, my, my boss, my department head asked my successor, Esten, if he'd like to be the advisor and he said, yes. So okay. I just think that's great. So to, you know, to interact with these students and to, to be able to tell them that, you know, you may not understand what your life path is yet, but I guarantee you, if you work, you find something that you enjoy. That's what my dad told me. It doesn't matter what you do. Just find something that you enjoy doing and you can make, you could do whatever. So it's been fun to, to be involved with the students in that way. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's such a, it is important because obviously I didn't go to CSU. Um, my brother played football at Texas Tech and I ended up going down there. I know. Um, but, uh, you know, in the student groups that I was in, um, just the people that you meet are the most important thing about the groups, obviously, and the professional people that you meet and you mix with. And so um, I still remember what those mentors that I built relationships with said to me. And um, they were right <laughs> about most things. Um, and so it really is a, that's very meaningful and legacy building type thing right there. So it's really yeah. important. So. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That's great. Well, thank you for this morning. I know you've got to get to work and do some other things. And so 
Well, Ashley, CSU's off today, but I am going to go out to our farm. I've, I've been taking notes out in eastern Colorado, and I think I'm mostly done with that. And then, I, But I've got like 25 acres of breeding materials under irrigation here at Fort Collins that I need to I need to start getting through. So, so that's where I'm headed today. Because it is, is it Saturday or is it Friday? It's Have Friday, a but CSU's off today. I don't, I mean, ah. it's a, I don't know if it's a state holiday or it's just a CSU holiday, but. Okay. okay. But I'm going to work. It's July. The holiday for you. That's right. That's why the farmers love you. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Well, you have a great day and happy. Too. Awesome. Yeah. Pleasure to All chat right. with you and tell, tell uh, Jeremy I said hi. I will. I will. Okay. Awesome. Right. Thank you, you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast today. She had a lot of fun. If you want to read some of the crazy stuff my mom writes about our life on the farm, go to her blog at farmerist.com. Have a great day.